You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. Ajit, so many coaches get into business wanting to help other people and then they end up getting burnt out themselves. So first, I just like to start off by asking, what is the role of health in business in terms of when we're building our businesses, you know, also focusing on our health? So a few years ago, I wouldn't call myself as somebody who was healthy most of his life. I grew up in India in a small town. Food was our emotional support was a spiritual support mm-hmm. were all our support it was a humble family so it wasn't that we were poor but we weren't wealthy we were not comfortable per se we had minimal resources and one of the resources that we really well took care of or my family really well took care of was to make sure that we had food and my mother's a fantastic cook yes like she is just absolutely awesome and so I had great meals pretty much every single day and that led me to have a not a very healthy relationship with food and definitely not a very good relationship with fitness or workout or how I treat my body. So until recently, until when I was like 36 years old, I never really had a relationship with my body. I would often do things that would be disrespectful to one's body, would eat foods even if they would take away energy from me and not necessarily give me energy. And while I was very successful financially or seemingly very successful financially, I wasn't taking care of my health. Mm -hmm. And one would think, oh, so health has no direct correlation to what you do in business. But here's also the truth of my first 36 years of my life. The first truth is I could never keep a good relationship. Like I didn't have a very good relationship with my friends. I didn't have a very good relationship with anybody I was in in relationship with until then, until I met Nita, who had a really good relationship with her health and her body and so forth. And so first of all, that was a challenge. I wasn't being the best of parents. I was tired all the time. I would work basically with squinted eyes. I also Mm -hmm. remember a time where there was a season of my life where while on calls, I would yawn because I was not living a healthy life. But Mm -hmm. if you look at me, you wouldn't go, oh, you're incredibly unhealthy. You wouldn't. You wouldn't say that, right? And the yawning part wasn't because I didn't sleep well. (laughs) The yawning part was because I was literally that unhealthy because I would not realize what I'm eating and what it's doing to my body, right? So I had the behind the curtain that you don't see on videos, that you won't hear on a podcast. Mm -hmm. You won't look at my bank balance and go, that person must be not well, Mm -hmm. right? It looks okay. It, it, everything from the outside in and the snapshot of Instagram and YouTubes and so forth, I look great. I mm-hmm. look okay. And maybe a little overweight, but you know, mm-hmm. it's all good. All right. Until about two years ago, I had my daughter, Isla. Uh, she was just born and two months old at the time. And my son, Ari, we decided we we're going to go out and play. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to leave mom and Isla home. They're going to take a good nap because they need it. <laughs> and I'm going to take Ari out and we're going to go play. Right? So we decide, hey, let's go to the park. Let's go to the park. We're going to go run. We're going to play tag. We're going to have fun. And so I take Ari out. We go to the park and we're playing. We're running around. And two years old, you know, like they want to run all the time they, because they are so in touch. They're always playful. They're always fun. So Ari is kind of like that. He's like, all right, let's go fun. Let's have play. And so we're running. We're running in the park, one end to another, one end to another. And as we're running, 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 there's a point where I go, <sighs> 
and uh, I'm out of breath. Maybe seven minutes into us running, I'm out of breath. And as I'm out of breath, my son, my two-year-old son says, Dada, Dada, let's go play. Let's run. Let's run. Because it's been only seven minutes. He's going, why we came here, we should run. I was like, yeah, yeah, we ran. We already just ran. So <sighs> give me give me a second. Give me, give me a break. I'm like, Dada, come on, come on. Let's run. Let's run. Let's play. Like, ah, ah, we just ran so much. Give me a minute. Give me a minute. I was getting a little frustrated with them mm. because I was out of breath. I was like kind of mad at myself that I was out of breath. I says, Tata, why? Come on, let's run. We came to run. Run. I'm like, Ari, I'm a little tired. Give me a break. Give me a minute. What he said next kind of hit me really hard because he said, Tata, you always tired. I said, Dad, are you always tired? Dad, are you always tired? See, in that moment, that two-year-old told me something that none of my coaches, none of my mentors, none <laughs> of my team members, none of my clients would ever dare tell me. I was at the peak already. I was doing really well from business perspective. But the two-year-old could tell me the truth. He could be real honest about what he saw in me. He saw an old, tired man whose body was probably of a 50-year-old man while he was 36. I mean, 50 50 is not old, but at 36, I was operating as if I was 70, Mm -hmm. right? Or my body was as tired as I was 70 and not a healthy 70. So in that moment, it was one of those moments where you have that mental chatter that kind of doesn't stop because suddenly you have a moment of realization, a moment of self-awareness that... Once it's present to you, you can't unsee it. Mm -hmm. In that moment, I went, wow, I am that parent now. I am that parent that can't keep up with his kids. I am that parent that probably would be uninspiring to his children. I am that coach that probably is uninspiring to people that are watching me right now because they go, well, he looks like a regular guy, maybe a little heady, and that's all it is. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little spiritual, but that's all it is. And this is me projecting. I'm not saying anybody right. was saying this. But this is me hearing my own mental chatter going, am I the tired man at 36? At 36, I was 36 years old at the time. I'm like, at 36, I am this tired. How is it that I am going to be an inspiring parent to this wonderful child? And to my daughter, who was just two months old at the time. How is it that I'm going to be an inspiring person to myself? Because that's not the vision I had of myself. How is it that I am going to create all the things that I envision to create? How am I going to be inspiring to all the coaches that look up to me? Or is that the example I want to give to people who want to lead change? Is the example, yeah, to create success, you should sacrifice everything. Is that who I am? Is that who I want to be? Is that what I want to tell my tribe? Mm -hmm. That, hey, listen, if you want to be successful, you must sacrifice your health. And in that moment... I decided that that cannot be the case. There's no way I wanted to be the coach, the teacher, the educator, the father, the parent, the husband that didn't live up to his potential, that told the world you should live up to your potential, but Mm. he dare not do it. That he kept putting everything else ahead of himself because he thought that's what the world wants him to do. That he never prioritized his own being Because your body is the only physical container you got. If you think you express anything in the world without your physical container, you've got it all wrong. 
Like your physical container, your body expresses your message. It makes you show up. It does make you not show up. It, it's the voice is coming out of my physical mouth, mm-hmm. right? My, I'm touching somebody with my physical being. If my mind is thinking, well, it's contained in my physical body. So this is the most important vessel I have and I am not an example of a good vessel. So then that moment I decided, hey, listen, there's something that got to change. There is something that has to be different than where I am today. And with that decision, I started doing what everybody does. I flip over on Google. I go, okay, let's mm-hmm. search, search, search. And, and I found a few things. And I called my friends who are very fit and healthy and I asked them a lot of questions. And as I got all that information, I also got very overwhelmed, which mm-hmm. you would get if you today want to get healthy, mm-hmm. you Google stuff. You go, wow, that's a lot of stuff, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You talk to your friends and everybody's got a different opinion. It's like somebody says, eat more protein. Somebody says, move your body. Somebody says, you got to do yoga. Somebody says, strength training. Somebody says, run. Yeah. Like completely confusing information all over the place. And I'm like, wow, I am overwhelmed. You know, that moment where you have so much information, so much knowledge that you don't know what is even the first step. Decision fatigue is real. Uh, decision fatigue. Yeah. And that's where I was. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm decision fatigued here. Yeah. But eventually I found a path and we'll talk about that maybe later in this episode. Mm-hmm. I found a path and I think it works for everyone because it is more comprehensive than what most people talk about. It's very easy, which is also one thing that I realized, which we'll again talk about in a minute. But what happened next is over the next two years, my business will grow by about... 10x easily, I'm trying to think percentage-wise, maybe 300% more. Wow. In two years, in like last 24 months, not even 24, in 22 months, the business has grown more than it has grown over the first five years of business. So I'm about seven, eight years in business. The first five, six years of business, we were doing good. We were still very successful. But where we are today as business is like incomparable to that. It's mm-hmm. so much further. And that's not only so much further in terms of this business. Mm-hmm. While doing this business, I built two more businesses. And they both are doing significantly better than whatever the combined founders of them had done before. Wow. Right. And what's the underlying truth or underlying big change? It's not that I got smarter. <laughs> like It's yeah. not like I have some new information. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm suddenly a better coach. I'm the same guy, somewhat. Right? Of course, I've marginally improved, but the most significant improvement in my life is how I am, mm-hmm. my health, my well-being. I'm more present to my kids. I haven't tested this yet, but I almost am certain that I can outrun Ari now. Like Ooh, he will get tired it. before dad will get tired, 100%. Yeah. Like I haven't tested it. It is not a competition, but it was one of those factors that were important to me that I can keep up with my kids. And I do think, like right now, at least it never happens where I go, that is tired. I don't go sit on the couch when I'm home and go, you know what, I need a minute. That never happens. Yep. The first thing dad does, he's home. He picks up the kids sometimes and sometimes the kids are already home. And then straight, let's go to the backyard, right? It's not, oh, I'm tired. And that's after an hour of gym that I've done. And still the first action, let's go to the backyard or let's go to the park or do something Mm -hmm. instead of, I'm tired, I need to stop for a second. And that's how I think parenting needs to be done, in my opinion. And I think that's how your businesses need to be done. Like I work five hours a day and my business is more than most business owners that work their ass off all the time. Yeah. So before we get into your two-year journey, I want to just get inside your head for a second. Why do you think that health is such an afterthought for coaches who are in the business of helping other people live their lives? Like you would think that health would be the primary focus. In your opinion, just living through this yourself, why do you think health is such an afterthought or was it an afterthought for you? 
So I think in society, health is an afterthought. Mm -hmm. And there are many reasons, but these are the two most dominant ones that I feel is the reason why it happens. Firstly, is because we don't, as a social narrative, we don't acknowledge somebody because they're healthy. We acknowledge because they are successful, mm -hmm. or which basically means they're wealthy, right? And we as human beings are structured in a way, or we have our desires wired around what we have, not who we are, right? That's just default, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about how much money... Uh, Michael uh, Jordan has. We don't talk about who Michael Jordan had to become to get that money, right? Because it just didn't drop from the sky. He had to become somebody. He had to have a sense of identity that led him to have that wealth. So we never question the identity. We never wonder about the identity. We just think about the money that a person has. And Michael Jordan is just one of the many examples. And because of that, we have a default wiring to prioritize what we think will make us more money or make us look good in the eyes of others. And that's the first reason why we don't think about health because health is so assumed in our life, especially when you're younger, that you go, oh, we could figure that out later, right? But the thing and the truth is, the day you realize your health is everything, you stop prioritizing anything but your health. Yeah. <laughs> and that's most true for people that are not well right now, mm -hmm. for example. If you're unwell, you don't care about anything else. You care about, can I get well, right? That's just the truth mm -hmm. of our lives. So that's the first reason. The second thing, and the second big reason is because food itself has always been our comfort across the globe. Everybody. It's just our thousands and thousands mm -hmm. of years of wiring. That's how we felt safe always. That's what we built our lives around. We wanted to do agriculture because of that. We wanted to, you know, like make delicious meals because it not only provides us nutrition to survive, it actually gives us emotional comfort. Yeah. Right? And what happened with society is as life became easier and food became abundant, and it's very abundant now, it's very abundant, very easy to access, especially the foods that are produced in mass. is mm -hmm. very easy to access. What happened is we started eating more than what we need. Right. Because, not only because we needed it, for the matter, we don't need as much. Like I realized how little we actually need, mm -hmm. but because it gave us that emotional comfort that we all need all the time. Because constantly our mind is telling us to be fearful. Like if you really think about it, like even when listening to this podcast, somebody listening to this podcast right now is going, oh, I want to start a podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Or I want to be on a podcast. Or, oh, I'm not successful because I don't have a podcast. Or whatever the story is, while listening to this or while listening to anything or watching anything, we immediately go, why don't I have that? Right, yeah. And it's not because we, we want somebody else's stuff. It's just how we are as social beings. We have default emotions that want us to have things. That's why we do anything. Otherwise, we can all be comfortable even as homeless individuals. Like we mm -hmm. can get food and water to survive. Mm -hmm. That's not impossible to do. But we don't do that because we go, we have other things that we want and desire and that's perfectly okay. Mm -hmm. But when we don't have those things, which is, again, a life, because mm -hmm. you always have more desires, you will always have desires unfulfilled, the immediate response to not have those desires not being fulfilled is to comfort ourselves. And to comfort ourselves, we do things like eating. Mm -hmm. And we have an association to the moment I eat, I feel good, I feel satiated in some way, I'm going to eat some more. Mm -hmm. Especially things that have sugar. Yeah. Right. And because of that, we are addicted to it, we want it again and again, we lean into it all of the time. And because of that, we've completely wired the society where we have set ourselves up to not prioritize health and to hurt it every single day, mm. right? Because of access to food. And of course, the quality of food is shit as well mm -hmm. everywhere, pretty much yeah. in the world, yeah. So, so can you take us on your two-year transformation journey with your health? Like, What was that like from you? Walk us through that. 
should start with overwhelm. Yeah. So as we, if I had to backtrack to that story where we left off, is yeah. the first thing that I did is I said, I need all the information that right. I can possibly get because I knew nothing about nutrition, fitness, well being, because I had done nothing mm-hmm. in my life to be a healthier individual. So the first curiosity was I need to learn everything. And learning everything is the way to start things, and that's okay but it overwhelms you. And that's mm-hmm. where I was for the first three or four months of that journey. I was just overwhelmed. Wow. I didn't know what to do. I was trying a lot of things and they were not working. Mm-hmm. My default wiring was a little bit off and, and so forth. And so I said, this is not landing me anywhere. So I started calling mm-hmm. my friends and, and I would start calling my friends who were really fit and healthy. They started telling me a few more things, but they were more systematic because they were talking about their own personal experience. And we right around that time had launched a program called Hollow Body, Certified Hollow Body Coach. And as a curious person to health, I was like, maybe that's the program I want to do. And I started doing that program as it was being launched, as it was the first batch was going through. And I learned the thing that actually works, the problem with health or the problem with health that you see online is that the person who's creating it is never holistic about it. Mm. They're very dimensional about it. They go, oh, you want to be healthy? Go work out on this routine. Right? Oh, you want to be healthy? It's all about food. Go do this food. Right? You want to be healthy? Do that. Whatever it is, that is the thing that they did in a single dimension. But change doesn't start there. The change actually starts by understanding why is it that you will refuse anything that I tell you to do, which you will. Right? And here is why it happens. is because usually you have an immediate future that you want, but there is not a long-term vision that you want. Mm-hmm. Right? There's an immediate thing. Somebody said, oh, you have a little bit more weight. So you go, oh, okay, I should lose weight. And so what do you do? You do a diet. But you're not going anywhere. You just start trying to respond to that immediate need mm-hmm. that you have, right? Oh, somebody says, you know, oh, fit into that dress for the wedding. You'll fit into the dress in the wedding, but what happens after the wedding? Mm-hmm. You're back in your old right. self, right? So whatever that thing is, that short-term approach, doesn't actually create a new identity because all you are doing is getting acceptance for a very short time, Mm. right? So yes, you will get that acceptance, but if you feel that you're back into that cycle again and again, it's because you never really painted a picture of where you want to be. So for me, there were very dominant images that I created or visceral images that I created that I could feel because you need to feel it for you to chase something, right? It's very law of attraction secret what I'm going to talk mm-hmm. about, right? But it's really true and it really is the foundation of everything. If you don't have this, I don't think anything works, All right? So the visceral images I had is that I am going on a hike with my grandkids wow. and I can keep up with them, not only keep up with them, I'm outpacing them, Right? So if I want to be that grandfather, which means I'm maybe 80 years old at this point or 90, who knows when my kids, if they ever decide to have kids, when Mm -hmm. will they have kids, right? We are having kids later and later. So I might be 80, 90 years old at Mm -hmm. that time. So 80, 90 year old Ajit is not only able to keep up with his grandkids who are maybe two or three years old, which means they are the same age Ari was at the time when this story started, Mm -hmm. is I have to keep up with them on a hike, all right? So... That's a visceral image. I can see it in my eyes right now. It's like my kids are walking with me, my wife's walking with me, I am walking, and my two, three-year-old grandkids are walking. I can, heck, I can even pick them up and carry on my shoulders, right? Visceral image. It's true, I can see it, I can feel it in this moment. Second visceral image. Every single time I take off my shirt, my wife wants to have sex with me. Love that for you. Visceral image, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And it sounds shallow from the perspective of a listener, but makes it real for me, and it makes it very driving for me. It's mm-hmm. also because I love my wife and I love her body and I love everything about her. So yeah, that's a 
stupid thing to say. I know sometimes it feels shallow, but it's important to me. So I'm like, screw yeah. that, right? So I made a visceral for me. I want that to be my truth. Mm-hmm. I'm not putting a timeline to it, but that's my long-term truth, right? So that's the first thing, right? Have a visceral, clear, something that drives an emotion in you, right? Find that vision because without that vision, you ain't chasing it. Mm-hmm. Not long-term. Short-term, maybe. If you just think next year, I'm going to be in the Vegas pool in the bikini top, sure. But you're going to go back to your old self right. once you hit that image. So make that image long-term. Make it mm-hmm. something that makes you feel something. Not just seen for a hot second, but yeah. something that means something to you. Right? So that's the first thing. The second thing that is very important is what is called body talk. It's something that we teach in Hollow Body, our, our certification program. Body talk is most of us, never really look ourselves in the mirror and thank our body or talk to our body. Mm-hmm. Like we said, like anything that you experience in this physical world is thanks to this body. Otherwise, good luck, right? You would just be a spirit wavering around and you won't know what this physical mm-hmm. experience is. One of the most important things that happens in this physical experience is you being physical, mm-hmm. right? And that happens because of your body. Your mind is contained in your body. Your soul is in the vessel of your body. You being able to hug someone and experience that is you being in the body. You be able to eat something and enjoy it is thanks to your body. But we never slow down to mm-hmm. say thank you for making me have all of these experiences, for making me enjoy the world that is, right? Once you start talking to your body, once you start appreciating your body, what also starts to happen is in time, your body starts talking back to you. Mm-hmm. And it starts to have a conversation with you. And this conversation becomes vital when we get to the third thing, which is nutrition, which is about 80% of everything that you will do for your health and well-being, at least 75, is understanding what does your body accept and love, right? Now, what your taste buds like, or what yeah. your body likes, right? There are many ways to get to it. Elimination diet is one of them. We have a program called Wildfit you could do. There's tons of ways to do it. But if you have a real conversation with your body, you need none of them. You will know when you eat something how you feel after mm-hmm. you've eaten it, right? And you will not just let it be. And that's the big difference between you talking to your body and your body talking back to you, is you won't go, yeah, I ate that thing and I feel tired. You won't be okay with that because now your body tells you, I, I, that kind of hurt. Yeah, I feel tired. I don't feel satiated. I don't feel mm-hmm. like you did good for ourselves, for us together, body, soul, mind, everything, mm-hmm. right? So suddenly you will go, oh, I may not want to make that choice again, right? Mm-hmm. Because now your body is telling you how it feels after you ate that stuff, whatever, mm-hmm. or drank that stuff. Mm-hmm. And because your body tells you, now you go, oh, maybe I shouldn't eat that. So even if you don't do any of the crazy diets, I didn't do elimination diet or any of it, but I started to experience what my body was experiencing. I started to go, oh, you know what? That tasted really good, but that, yeah. I do not feel good. I do not feel like I feel tired. I feel like it drained energy out of me. Yeah. That's how I gave up on coffee because I was like, I can't drink coffee because even if when I was eating decaffeinated coffee, I just didn't enjoy it anymore. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, my body doesn't feel how it should feel. Right? Or I do one type of coffee, but that's just one in the morning that's because of taste. Yeah. And I'm also sharing these things so you understand that not everything will be, oh, I just decided and it happened because it doesn't happen yeah. that way. It's, mm-hmm. it's a journey. It's yeah. hard. And it's important. So it's worth doing it. Yeah. Right? So the third thing is you find what your body talks back and gives you back as a message. The fourth thing is then you want to find a protocol that moves your body. Now initially, again, this is going to be very hard. The first 30 to 60 days, very difficult, right? You feel like your body doesn't want to be sore. Mm-hmm. You, you feel like, oh, it's a waste of time or whatever it might be. What you will start to realize once you do it for 30 days or 60 days is your body actually loves it. Yeah. 
Like body loves being sore because every time it is sore, it means it is stronger. It's getting stronger. That's what really it means when it's sore is because your muscles are expanding and getting tighter and more stronger is why it's sore. Mm -hmm. And you start to realize that and you go, wow, that means if I am sore, it's actually my body's way of saying, oof, that part is working. It's getting stronger. Thank you. That's why it's not pain. We associate it with pain, but it's not pain. It doesn't feel like pain at all. It feels different, but because it feels different, we think it's bad. It's mm -hmm. not bad. It's actually great. So not that you need to chase soreness because you won't get it every single time, especially once you build up a little bit of muscle, you won't be that sore and definitely not for that long. But initially it's going to be sore and it's going to feel very painful. Not painful, but feel difficult. So that's the fourth step is to find anything, mm -hmm. whatever works for you. You like orange theory, knock yourself out. You like uh, going to the gym and just doing 20 minutes, go knock yourself out. Something. You like running, not ideal, but sure, knock yourself out. Because yeah. the thing that you're doing at this stage is falling in love with the act of loving your body. Yes. That's all you're doing. Yeah. Don't worry about if it's the right protocol or the wrong protocol. If it feels right, do it. Because once you start doing it, what happens in this invariably will happen is that you will fall so much in love with your body that you will try to find new ways to yeah. love your body. Right? Yeah. And this happens when you're in love with somebody else, right? Especially the new love, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to try and find mm -hmm. to surprise them, like in a way that they love, not in a way that just surprises and scares them. You yeah. want to surprise them where they are in love with you even more. Yeah. And that's kind of what starts to happen between you and your body is now finally when you're giving love to your body, you want to find new ways to love your body. And so you'll find other ways. You'll go, oh, you know what? I've been running all this while. Maybe I want to walk today. Mm -hmm. you know, oh, maybe I want to go to the gym today. Maybe I want to put myself through a challenge of how strong I can get my shoulders, how many pull-ups can I do today? Mm -hmm. Right? Whatever it might be. And that's perfectly okay, whatever you choose. Don't worry so much about the science of everything. Worry about the beingness of it yeah. first. And then science will come later. Mm -hmm. Once you are at a place where you follow the rhythm, now you know what your body wants and what it needs, now you can go, okay, what do I need to eat? What's exactly I need to eat also to fuel it in a way that I might not be able to gauge myself. And so I need to find, mm -hmm. like for example, initially you may not be able to gauge what protein is doing to your body until you've done it for a while. Because then suddenly you go, holy cow, because I was eating protein, look how my body has adapted to what it really wanted mm -hmm. to be, which is very fit and very healthy and all of that, right? So all of that would be figured out and eventually and you will figure it out and I trust that, especially for the audience that's listening to this, is they will figure it out. But the parts they won't figure out is, the, is this part. is first loving your body and then seeing how it loves you back wow. by telling you what it loves to eat, what it loves to move, how it loves to move and finding that. And the last step of it is to suspend the timeline. And that's the probably the hardest thing to do, is to not expect it to work immediately, right? We're all gratification-driven engines. We want whatever we do gives us results right away, and it's not going to do that. It's going to take its time, mm -hmm. and because it's going to take its time, it's going to be very frustrating mm -hmm. while you're on the journey. When I made the decision of saying I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to live a healthier life, I'm not going to be that parent, that is not an example to his kids and so forth, or sacrifice my health and well-being for money or whatever. The thing that I told myself, it was a clear visceral statement that I told myself was, I've abused my body for 36 years. I can give it 36 months to tell me how to love it. Mm. Right. And so I gave myself a 36-month timeline. Now, it's not been 36 months yeah. even now, right? Uh, so 36 months was basically because that would give me about three years for me to even know what my body loves, right? Now, I learned about that much sooner, but because I had the patience to stay for 36 yeah. months, because I had framed it in a way where I said, there is no reason for my body to love me back if I abused it for 36 years. 
There's no fucking way. Well, it's like any relationship that you break trust with, right? We have yeah. to look at that with our body too. Our body's not going to respond quickly when we've been abusing it, so to say, for, you know, 36 years, how many every years? I'm curious to know what's one limiting belief or story that you had about yourself throughout this journey that has completely changed? I don't know if it's directly correlated to this, but, and I remember telling the Sunita all the time and she would say, oh, you look handsome or you look pretty or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like you look gorgeous, you look whatever. Mm-hmm. I would always say, "Oh no, I'm not a, I'm not a beautiful man. Mm-hmm. Like you are beautiful, and Nita yeah. is gorgeous, of yes. course. I'm not beautiful. You know, I'm smart. I'm not beautiful. That my attractiveness is I'm smart. I'm intellectual. Mm-hmm. I'm spirited as a person. I'm spiritual, but not beautiful. Like that was my default. That I didn't see me as somebody who was beautiful, or somebody would appreciate me for how I look or how I present myself. And that has changed." Like literally, it was. I think we were joking right before the podcast. I said, I get hit on all the time, yeah. which I do, but I wouldn't be able to say that before because I didn't see me for me, all right? right? Or the beauty in me. All of us are beautiful in our own unique ways, but I couldn't see that for myself. So there was a big limiting thing. And that's also why I did probably didn't prioritize my body is because I didn't see myself as beautiful. I really love that you're saying that because I don't think a lot of men are given the permission to see themselves in that way. You know what I mean? Like when they're younger, they're referred to as like, oh, you look so handsome. But then like when you get older, it's almost like the focus, I think with media really is to focus on women and their looks and men don't really focus on their looks. So I think that's beautiful that you can now accept how you look when you look in the mirror. And like, do you find yourself looking in the mirror and like saying to yourself, damn, I look good? Like, do you ever say that to yourself? I do. I actually do. That's part of body talk. It's part of looking at yourself and saying, wow. Yeah. Wow, body, thank you so much for taking me on this ride and for serving me every day and for helping me live this experience in the most beautiful way. You look amazing. You look beautiful. So, I mean, it sounds really cheesy as I say it. It's so necessary though. But but that is what what is body talk. Body talk is being grateful to your body. And it sounds like I know, it sounds whatever, but it's important that we recognize. It's like, like you said, it's like being in a relationship. You are with a partner that never appreciates you. That's not a fun relationship. It's not only for a man or not only for women, it's not a fun relationship, for a guy also. If your partner never says thank you, thank you for whatever stereotype followed, being followed, insert stereotype error, thank you for fixing the tap or whatever mm-hmm. the stereotype is. If that person never appreciates, you don't like that relationship. Yeah. You're like kind of like, what an ungrateful relationship, yeah. right? So all of us appreciate being appreciated. Yeah. So why not do it to the most important vessel that we live through this experience? I love this conversation so much. And I want to ask you this Final question, okay? It's like, it's uh, two parts. So how do you think outdated corporate norms are playing a part in how we view health? So there's so much conditioning around taking breaks, working out, taking time for lunch that many people who want to be more healthy, they might feel guilty or like they're selfish to take care of themselves. And I know that you're someone who has broken the rules of success to get to where you are. So what are some of your health practices now that go against this grain of conditioning? So the conditioning you're talking about that we shouldn't take breaks? Yeah, so I'm thinking here, you know, with society putting so much pressure and emphasis, like you said, on on what we do mm-hmm. rather than who we be, you know, I know for you, you have gone against the grain of what is success. Like you prioritize your lunch, you prioritize taking breaks. So I'm just curious to know what are some of the things that you're doing currently, some of your health practices that one would be like, oh, that's really out of the norm, you know? Yes, it's a very interesting question because I think it changes based on where you are in your journey Mm -hmm. of life. What I found is that when I was not 
successful in the eyes of the world mm-hmm. is when I sacrifice more of me to feel successful in the eyes of the world, mm-hmm. right? At that stage, it's hard to see self-care. It's hard to see, oh, I can take a break. It's hard to see I can go to the gym because you have set an expectation for yourself where you always feel like a failure, right? And failure is nothing more than you failing your own expectations. There's no other definition of a failure but that is that you set yourself up for a goal defined by yourself or by people around you and then you fail that goal, well, you're a failure, Mm -hmm. right? So because of that reason, because I saw myself as a failure, I would keep chasing whatever success was determined for myself, right? So because of that reason, you would sacrifice. And that would be true for anyone Mm -hmm. because you have set an expectation that looks like X. Anytime you don't meet it, you don't want to be that person, right? You don't want to be the person who did not get X Mm -hmm. for themselves, Mm -hmm. even if whatever, how it was defined. And so you will sacrifice anything to get there. And the day you get there is when you get to redefine it. Now, some people never redefine it, which is why they keep chasing the money, they keep chasing the success based on what the world keeps telling them of what success will look like. And that is also why they tend to be uh, frustrated, unhappy. They do bad things to the world. They do bad things to their families. They don't have a relationship with their loved ones. They think you can not have it all. You can have one thing or the other. All of those things come from individuals that have set an expectation that they keep chasing the same set of expectation and they never actually grow out of it to take charge of saying, what is my expectation of mm-hmm. myself? Not the world's expectation of me, not what somebody else defines, but what I define for myself and get comfortable with that. So I think that's the switch that you would see an individual like myself who says, well, I take time for myself because success for me is defined completely differently than what may be for a traditional person, right? And it's not that just because you're in personal growth, you will know how to do this. Mm-hmm. Like I've met a lot of people in personal growth and coaches, successful ones that keep chasing the same dog. And the reason they keep chasing the same dog is because they don't know how to find a different dog. Dog. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I don't know why dogs are being crucified here. But I love it. But I was like, because they don't know they can have many dogs. They don't need to have one dog. Like dogs are beautiful animals. You can have tens and hundreds of them. Yeah, so they keep chasing the same dog because they think that's the only thing that's available to them. But you could have all of it. And you really can once you start seeing it that way and you define how it is, what is it that you want to create, how it feels like, what it looks like, and then go for that. Mm -hmm. And so to me, success now is defined differently. Mm -hmm. It is not about if I can work 12 hours. There's seasons where I I, I crave to, but I crave to because like I'm just driven that day to say, oh, I want to do this and this and this. But at the same point, I remind myself, but does that mean that today I don't get to hang out with Ari and Ayla? Does that mean it'll t- it's going to take away from the 10,000th case that I'm going to give to Ari or Isla? And if the answer is yes, then eh, maybe I don't need to work 12 hours today. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I define it as a yeah. good thing. So it's good yeah. for me, right? So it's up to us, right? I'd rather choose to go on a date night with Nita, even if I have some extra work that I could have finished that night. I'd rather do that, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of how I've defined success for myself. And people, I don't think it's very, very difficult to define success like that for you when you're in a situation where you're finding it hard to meet your bare minimums. It's just very difficult to do. And for those individuals, I want to invite you to kind of think about is when you work harder, do you actually make more? Yeah. Because if you really put that pen to a paper and write that down, you'll find it's not true. I've done this exercise thousands of times Mm -hmm. with different coaches and different Mm -hmm. uh, clients and so forth. Once you write it down, unanimously I found that there are more people who waste time thinking about the problems than actually solving them. Yeah. 
right? And you're nodding, which means you've done that as well. No, no, right? no, no. I'm, I'm actually agreeing with how many people just stay stuck in the problem rather than training their mind to look for solutions, yeah. you know? And it can just feel like this rabbit hole that you're going down and can't get out of. Yeah. And yeah. if you find yourself working too much, it's yeah. mostly because you're not working, you're thinking about working. Yeah. Right? And that's not working. Working is actually doing the thing. Yeah. And if you want to be in that place where you want to honor everything, you think better, and this is real, like mm-hmm. try it and try it on for a couple of days, a couple of weeks to really, really get good data on this. But if you want to think better, go to the gym. During the workout, in the car on the way back to the workout, you will think better. Yeah. Your solutions are going to be smarter. If you want to think better, meditate. You will have so much better solutions because you meditated. You want to think better, hang out with your friends. Yeah. Because the problem solving mindset changes completely when you're hanging out with your friends, right? You want to think better or you want to find solutions better. If you have kids, chill with your kids. They're the most creative things on yeah. freaking planet. Your mind's going to be blown every single time you hang out with them. So no, the way to find solutions is not to sit ideal and look at your computer screen and say, this solution is going to appear to me because I'm on my 100th Instagram post. That's not how yeah. you find answers. You find answers, creative solutions, you make progress by doing other things because once you have limitation of time, mm-hmm you become more productive. And you only do things that are more effective. And you do things more effectively. And that reduces the overall time spent. Now, there's only one exception to this rule. And that is if you're building a new skill. When you're building a new skill, it is a labor of love. Labor of love? Yeah, labor of love. Yeah, is that the right way to say it? Yeah, labor of love. And which means you've never done a video before in your life, you're going to try and do a video. It's about how many you can get out. Which means, yes, it means front hours and hours in front of camera. If you've never coached a person, a soul in your life, it is all about how many clients you coach. Mm-hmm. So just coach your ass off as much as possible. If you've never written a book or written a page or written an email, well, write as much as you can and you will get the draft, the beautiful writing ability in three months from now. Give yourself 100 days. Mm-hmm. That's a good measure. Any skill you want to build, 100 days, hard work, go at it like a crazy person. And in 100 days, you're going to be phenomenal at it. So let's just do like a quick rapid fire just to wrap things up, okay? What's something that you love to do every single morning to get you started through the day and just like feel clear in your head? I'm very clear in my head, mostly because I've set up my days in very tight timelines. So I wake up around with my kids around 6.30, 6.30, mm-hmm. 6.30, 6.30, somewhere around that time. And then it's just kids time for the next 90 minutes, 90 yeah. minutes to two hours. So 8, 8.30, and with my kids, I'm making, I mean, depends on who's doing it, but sometimes Nita is doing it. Right now, my parents are there, so they are doing it. Then we hang out, but otherwise I would make breakfast or I'll make lunch mm-hmm. and we take turns. Sometimes Nita is doing it, sometimes I'm doing it. But basically we take turns because we both love doing it. Then we're just chilling. We're talking about, you know, like how was the night for them? They might have some things that we want to catch up on. There's a long hugging time, which is maybe 10, 15 minutes mm-hmm. of our morning. We're just about cuddles and just hugging and just like chilling with each other mm-hmm. and asking each other how did we sleep and so forth. So it's a short and beautiful two hours that we get right in the morning. And around 8.15, 8.30-ish, I get into my mode because my calls start at 9 a.m. Okay. So I take a shower, get ready, head over to the office, which is right here where we are shooting this. Uh, it's about eight minutes from my house. So about 30 to 40 minutes, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I start my calls at 9 a.m., 9 to, depending on the day, but 9 to 12, all my calls are done. So about three hours a call, 12 to 2.33, I work. And then I go into my gym. 
So I go around three o'clock. So it's very set up. So yeah. even the calls are set up. So my morning is also very set up, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't eat until usually around 11, 30, 12, mm-hmm. nothing before that. It might be sometimes even later than that. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of how my morning is scheduled. It's like, okay, you come in, you you get one coffee. There's one coffee that I drink in yeah. every day, which is strong coffee. It is with MCT and everything. So I like that one thing. That is my only morning ritual that I do. And then I would go into my day. So it's basically structured. My every single day is structured. I tend to work only four days a week, which is Monday to Thursday. The fifth day, Friday, is an open day, which means I get to do whatever I want. And usually this is also the skills day. This would be the day where if I'm like, I really want to get better on video, I'm in front of the camera, mm. like just by myself failing. Uh, just going, oh, I want to build a skill. Right? If I'm trying to get better at AI, I'm just prompting chat GPT, a thousand things, or BARD, whatever I have access to. Uh, so stuff like that. If I'm, you know, whatever I'm trying to learn is usually what ends up on a Friday, which is why nobody's allowed in the office mm-hmm. on Friday. It's only me and me doing whatever I want to fail at. I love that you're sharing this because you know we were talking about physical health and like nutrition, but what you're actually speaking to as far as like on Fridays how you keep it open, that's like your creative health, right? Like that's the day that you may want to spend to better yourself creatively or like in front of the camera, and. Uh, one other question that I wanted to ask you is, what's your favorite way to unwind in the evening? Oh, I just think I have kids. I have wonderful unwinding with my yeah. kids. But I would say my biggest unwind in the day is in the middle of the day when I go to the gym for about 45 minutes. Okay. Yeah, that's my greatest unwind. It's like all of the things that I've done that day, all of the things that I was planning on doing after, they all come together. I get to just be with myself, uh, especially the non-trainer days, which is only twice a week. The rest of the days are just me by myself. I get to put on music. I'm not listening yeah. to podcasts or a book. Like that's my, you know, just focusing on my body, on what's going on in my head, what's going on in my soul, being really present to mm-hmm. all of it. But that's about 45 minutes every single day in the middle of the day. Yeah. It's usually around 2.33. So to the person listening, Ajit, what do you want to say to them? Maybe they're stuck in a little bit of decision fatigue. Like, okay, I know I need to do this. I know I need to do that. Where do I even begin? They've already absorbed this podcast and all the Google articles on like how to get better with their health. And I know you vulnerably shared that you also had decision fatigue. What do you want to say to that person listening? The only thing that matters is your identity and how you see yourself. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I gave the five steps is because the first two are going to do that. Mm-hmm. is going to help you shift your identity because your identity shifts when you have a true desire of something. One of the things, one of the reasons why your identity shifts is because you have a true desire for something. Mm-hmm. You know what your outcome is not in the immediate future, but a long-term future, something that you can feel in your bones right now to go, yeah. I would love that. That's who I am. That's what I want to be, mm-hmm. right? And and you don't have to discount anything based on your current reality. It's yeah. all because that's why it's 30 years into the future. You can look like a supermodel if you want to. Yes. Like it's absolutely perfectly acceptable to have that dream and that desire because 30 years into the future, sure, anything can happen 30 yeah. years into the future. So have something that you could see for yourself. You can go, oh, I can see myself as this. Because that thing is going to become your primary driver every time you fall. And you're going to fall a lot. Yeah. Because it's a new identity. You're losing everything that you had built over decades usually. Then you have to find there will be a gap when you unmantle all of that. Mm-hmm. And fill that gap is also work. To be able to go, okay, this is my new identity. And to really carefully keep putting it as it's not working. Because it is not working when yeah. you're actually doing it. It's constantly challenging. But once you have that installed, 
if you have a good relationship with your body, that is probably the most phenomenal change you can have. Because identity, again, is if you see yourself as a person that loves mm-hmm. their body, like their body already loves them today, mm-hmm. even while you're not probably being super nice to it, mm-hmm. it's very likely that you're not being super nice to it. Because most, like 80% of the world is not nice to their bodies. Maybe yeah. 20% is, but 80% is not. So if you're not being nice to your body and they're still being nice to you, wonder yeah. how much better your body's going to respond when you're actually being nice to it. Like it's insane, right? What it can do for yeah. you, or it will do for you because you're just being nice. So once you have that as a part of your identity as somebody who loves their body back, yeah. now every priority changes, every habit changes, or you're willing to at least try a different thing. And then, like I said, the last few steps is more, if you don't like Ajit's nutrition protocol, find a different one, but then find it and stay with it. It doesn't matter which one you pick. It's all, like anybody that says, oh, this is the one model, I will find you a counter study that proves it's not. Yeah. Like right now, and I'm, I'm not sure when this gets published, but at the time we are recording it, the big thing is protein. Right. Right? All the studies about protein. The amount of protein now we are recommending to people sometimes to eat is so insane that it can actually hurt your body. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because, oh, you know, you should have this much protein. Well, what about fiber? What about minerals? Yeah. What about vitamins? You can't just keep eating just meat, which is a big thing right now. Yeah. At least that's the big thing in my feed. It's like everybody's like, eat, and I'm a, I'm a vegetarian. Same. So I'm like, yeah. well, I don't eat meat. I don't want to learn how to eat meat. Yeah. So according to that person, I'm not going to be fat. Right? And, that's like, yeah, yeah, and that's, that's like, not fair. Yeah, that's not fair. Just eat steak every day. I'm no, like, like, I don't eat steak. Yeah. I'll eat a chicken every day. It doesn't harm the climate. That's not the reason why I'm not eating it. I don't eat it. I don't want to eat it. I don't want to learn how to eat it. Oh, Oh, sorry, then you can't be fit yeah. and healthy. I'm like, no, that's not true. Yeah. You just have a different model for getting there and different priorities of what fit is and what fit is not. And people who have, like, there's uh, the funny thing is, I think the only determinant that guarantees longevity, it's, uh, what's the, I think the name of the book is Lifespan. And I don't want this person to hate me if I misquote him. Yeah. I think his name is David Sinclair. I could be wrong about the name of the person too. But basically, he researched what gives you the longest lifespan. He studied the blue zones and all of yeah. it. And he did tons of scientific studies or whatever. And his common denominator, I think, was relationships. Wow. If you have good relationships, you're... Yeah. Yeah. He was like, sure, you drink wine? Sure. You eat pasta every day? Sure. Like actually there is a blue zone found. I think they looked at their diet. It was pasta. Every night they would drink. There's nothing. Like everything that you think is bad for you, they were doing every single Smoke cigarettes. Yeah, like, they ate know. milk. They, did, yeah. they smoked cigarettes. They were drinking wine. They're like, this person should die. They live the longest. The reason? Because they hang out every evening. Wow. The single biggest determinant of a longer lifespan is your relationships. It yeah. has nothing to do with food, protein, drinking, not drinking, working out, nothing. It is to do with do you have healthy relationships in your life and are you emotional? Because of that, probably because your emotional regulation is good, yeah. you're not overeating. Right. Right. You're not doing all these other things that actually are hurtful to you. Yeah. Right. So it, who knows? But so don't fall for the fad, is all I'm really trying yeah. to say. All diets work till the time you actually keep it and you do what is right by your body. And usually you would find, at least, actually not usually, in my experience, what you find is right by your body is you're overeating. Yes. You're eating way too much than your body needs. And so usually you eat a little bit less. And in my culture, in Jain culture, the culture that I grew up in, they always said as kids, eat one roti less. Stop eating when you are about to be full. Just eat one roti less. It's kind of like the essence of what they always told us, which is basically... If you feel like I'm going to be full after this chapati or roti, yeah. stop eating because you're full. 
your body's going to get the message it's full later. Yep. Does that make sense? And your body needs room to digest. So if you're like capped to the brim, yeah. it has no room to actually digest yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, and it's been in the culture for the longest yeah, time. Like there was no science to prove it, but now science, of course, is the same thing. But it's basically the message between your gut and your head to tell you it's full takes a little while. And by that time, you're overeaten. Mm-hmm. So if you feel like, oh, I'm about to be full, I should have one more stop. chapati, yeah. stop yeah. because you're full. It hasn't gotten the message yet. But the moment it gets the message, you would realize 10 months later, oh crap, I overate. Yeah. That's what's happening to all of us right now. You know, one of the best questions I asked my body out loud two years ago was, how do you want to feel in my presence? Mm. I actually stood in front of the mirror and I don't know if I was wearing anything or not, but I was standing in front of the mirror and I had gained excess weight from the pandemic. Yeah, I, I think we all did. We we're just like sitting on our asses. What are we doing? You know what I mean? I felt very disembodied. I remember two years ago and I was standing in front of the mirror and I asked my body, how do you want to feel in my presence? Once again, you know, how we, we were talking about you have an actual relationship with your body. So ask your body, how do you want to feel in my presence? And I just heard one word and the word was light. Mm-hmm. I want to feel light in your presence. And so what I did from that day on, anything that I put in my mouth, I was like, is this going to make me feel light? Does this make me feel light? Now, obviously, you know, if I'm like a little hormonal, if I want to have a slice of pizza, I'm going to eat a slice of pizza, right? But for the majority of what I'm putting in my mouth, it's, does this make me feel light? This is going to make me feel light. So I'm just so glad that you've shared so much today, especially the body talk, because I don't think people really get that your body will speak to you if you tune in and you ask the right questions. So thank you. I've got some exciting news to share with you. The doors to Hollow Body Coaching Certification Program are now open, but let's be honest, the enrollment is going to close very, very soon. Now, as I share in this episode, my personal health journey has become the driving force in my business. And this certification program is something I'm incredibly passionate about, especially for our amazing Evercoach community. If you've ever felt that deep calling to make real difference in people's lives, if helping others reclaim their health and find balance in their business sets your soul on fire, then this certification might be the perfect next step for you. I would love to have you join me in the Hollow Body Coaching Certification. You only have until June 26th to secure your spot. So check out the application page in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I can't wait to welcome you on this incredible journey of transformation. Oh,